Most evenings I read to my son, and we like to read adventure action books. So when there's an action sequence, my voice speeds up. When there's an emotional sequence, I break up. If you've read ahead, this passage is fraught with anguish. Printed on page 7 of your bulletin is Psalm 22. 1 through 11. My God, my God, why have you left me all alone? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my anguished groans? My God, I cry out during the day, but you don't answer. Even at nighttime, I don't stop. You are the Holy One, enthroned. You are Israel's praise. Our ancestors trusted you. They trusted you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you, and they were saved. They trusted you, and they weren't ashamed. But I am just a worm less than human, insulted by one person, despised by another. All who see me make fun of me. They gape. They shake their heads. He committed himself to the Lord, so let God rescue him. Let God deliver him, because God likes him so much. But you are the one who pulled me from the womb, placing me safely at my mother's breast. I was thrown on you from birth. You have been my God since I was in my mother's womb. Please, don't be far from me. Because trouble is near and there is no one to help. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Marissa. One of the more appropriate ways in which you could certainly read that scripture. You think of it as uh, one that can express the differing emotions from anger as someone who shouts out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To just as Marissa has done. Someone who weeps all the way through a painful prayer to God. When we think about our Lenten series this season, that's been our focus, is is that so often in life we find ourselves mired in our weeping. And that that's not exactly where God wants us to reside all the time. It's appropriate for us in many different ways and occasions to find weeping that transpires in our life because it's cathartic, it's good for the soul. But it's not the place God wants us to be all the time. God also wants us to dance in our lives. And so how do we find those moments where both can appropriately transpire? The life that tends to have its rewards to it also tends to have its wounds to it. How do we deal with both? How do we go from weeping to also dancing? 
Last week we talked about it from the aspect of the very visible wounds that many of us carry. This week we're going to think of it more from the internal, the invisible wounds that can often become our prison, the trap that we find ourselves in that keeps us weeping. Have you ever noticed that people can be mean any of you ever noticed that people just sometimes can have a mean streak within them and that it can come out upon other people? Have you ever been the victim of someone's cruel words in a moment where they lashed out? All of us know that in that there's a wound that comes from it. And it's usually a wound that no one else sees. It's something that we internalize. And from that we also know that there begins to be a breach of trust between you and that person. Your trust in them begins to die. You think about the very invisible wounds of our culture, our society, the ways that it plays out for many of us as individuals. I read an article this week. It's about a three-year-old article simply on depression as one of those kinds of invisible wounds for many. It cites statistics from the CDC about depression in our culture. Currently, 9% of Americans in our culture have feelings of hopelessness, despondency, and or guilt that generates into a diagnosis of depression. If you think about the average worship attendance for St. John's on a Sunday morning, that means that 12 of us probably have been clinically diagnosed as depressed. Or maybe not diagnosed, but we may find ourselves in that category. 3% of adults suffer from what's called major depression, which is a lifelong debilitating form of depression. It's long-lasting and severe. And because of that, it's the number one leading form of disability for those between the ages of 15 and 44. Women are 70% more likely to be depressed or to be diagnosed with depression. And it has been on the rise within our culture. In 1991, when this study began, 3.3% of Americans were clinically diagnosed as depressed. Eleven years later, that number had risen to a little over 7%. And then by 2013, at the time this article was penned, they had come up to the category of 9% of our people in our society as being depressed. They also note that there are other factors that are a part of this. So if you're depressed, there's other contributing factors that may play into this. About 40% of those clinically diagnosed as depressed also suffer from PTSD or a form of it. 25% suffer from some kind of physical ailment that contributes to their depression. And the final thing that was interesting in this article is it says that 30,000 suicides are committed every single year and two-thirds of those who commit suicide are classified as clinically depressed. How much do we keep within ourselves? The woundedness that we carry within that maybe no one else around us ever sees. Now, here's something I want to add to this, and I will tell you, number one, I do not have an undergraduate degree, a master's, or anything above that in counseling. I am not a licensed professional psychotherapist in any form. It's not my field of expertise. But when I think about this, I think of depression maybe in this way. Could depression also be a form of grief? 
The grief that we carry over what's slowly dying within us. Things like hope, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. That our despair is beginning to darken so much our lives that we can't live into the sunlight and the hope of these things. That it's a byproduct as well of that dying trust in others around us. Our despair. Many of us know that we carry invisible wounds that are often uh, because of somebody uh, external to us. We have been the the victim, as I said, of words that have been spoken to us. And some of us, we carry wounds that are inflicted because of things that we speak into our own selves. I'm going to go with the first of those in a, in, a, in a short story real quick and, and talk about what it means to think about the words that others speak to you because it kind of relates to the psalmist who says others speak words of harm and inflict them upon me, right? I don't know how many of you remember back a couple of years ago to 1975. That, that was only a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. I started calculating it 41 years ago. I was in the ninth grade in 1975. Now, so that you don't get hung up trying to figure out how old I am, I'm going to be 55 this year. I'm turning the speed limit, all right? So let's just move on past that. Back in 1975, I was in the ninth grade. Now, on the square in Butler, Missouri, this little town uh, south of Kansas City in Butler, there was a store there called Levy's, spelled the exact same as Levi's, right? And my dad did all of his shopping for his jeans there. Guess what they sold? Levi's, right? At Levi's. So we went in there. My dad was a 501 button fly straight-legged blue jean guy. And guess what? That meant his sons were as well because that was his favorite jeans. Uh, Does anybody remember what the fashion of the day was in 1975? Bell bottom. Four times the amount of leg material in the end of it as a 501 blue jeans, right? Amen? How many of you remember that? So my brother and I were running around junior high. I was in ninth grade. He was in eighth grade. We're running around in in these 501 blue jeans while all of our classmates are running around in bell bottoms. Can you remember what that was like? Can you imagine what transpired in the hallways, right? You know, the teasing and the the jeers and the fun that people had at at our expense. You know, the jocks and the cheerleaders and the cool people whose parents all bought them bell-bottoms. Make fun of the kids who don't wear bell-bottoms, right? Well, they didn't know that my brother and I were trend-setting fashion icons because it wasn't long when... 501 straight-legged blue jeans became all the rage. We were just a couple of years ahead of all of that. But, you know, you think about how that transpires in our school years, but then you think when you get into adulthood, all of that will kind of go away, and it doesn't. We still find ourselves in circumstances and situations where people can inflict their unwanted opinion on us that causes that kind of wound that we hold on to. It's a college classmate, maybe a a group of people that you know, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, a supervisor, a boss, all these people speaking words that can do harm to us. And even in that transition, that experience of these things, these invisible wounds begin to mount up within the soul. 
and something begins to die. We grieve over the death of our innocence. We grieve over the death of our acceptance, the fairness, the equality of the world that is around us. We start to weep because these things are being replaced with these wounds that we are holding on to and trust in others slowly fades away, almost dies. I think the psalmist expresses for us what rock bottom looks like when we experience these invisible wounds, when we hang on to them, the death of relationship. And for him, it comes out in the ultimate, the death of his relationship with God. The results are that the world around him has inflicted so much pain that he cannot see the God who loves him. And he cries out for that God, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? See, once upon a time, there was a writer who felt despondent. His world had collapsed around him. The people that were in community around him were ones who inflicted these kinds of verbal assaults and wounds upon him. They accused him of many different things. And in that, he could not see God as one who was present. He cried out to this God. He said, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me alone? Above all else and everyone else, why you? Why have you abandoned me? The writer wanted to know why it was that he could not sense the presence of God's Spirit nor see the rescuing of God's hand in his life. Well aware of the things that he thought about himself and the things that those around him thought about him. I am a worm. I am less than human. My enemies speak words of harm about me. He understood those things. He held on to those things. The psalmist internalized these wounds from what he thought were God and especially the ones from the people around him. But somehow, some way, God breaks through in this story and makes his presence known to the psalmist. And the psalmist realizes that he really isn't alone, that God is present and there. He goes on to write in that psalm a little bit later on in verse 22. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the very center of the congregation. All of you who revere the Lord, praise Him. All of you who are Jacob's descendants, honor Him. All of you who are Israel's offspring, stand in awe of Him. Because. Because He didn't despise or detest the suffering of the one who suffered. He didn't hide His face from me. No, God listened when I cried out for Him to help. What turns out to be a cry of despair also turns into an understanding that God is there and God is present. In the midst of his weeping over his invisible wounds, the psalmist encounters the lover of his soul. He was not despised by God. He was not rejected by God because of his afflictions. God did not hide his face. God heard the cry of the psalmist and it just took something to break through to be able to see that God, to realize that God was there and present. And from God being real and present, the psalmist ultimately realizes that he could trust God as well. 
Here's a question for you. What comes after 22? This is not that hard of a test, folks, and it's not a trick. What comes after 22? 23. Good. What psalm comes after Psalm 22? Psalm 23. What are the first five words of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. Say that with me in confidence. The Lord is my shepherd. From Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To the leap of Psalm 23, my God is a great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Think about the movement that has transpired from weeping to trust in God that allows someone to dance. I don't think those two things are misaligned. I think the psalmist, in their collection of those works, put them right together to define how God moves in our lives from weeping to the possibility of dancing. Maybe what we need to wrestle with is this. Could it be that we continue to weep simply because we haven't found that level of trust in the lover of our souls that is needed for us to dance in our lives? That we need to take the leap of faith to a larger trust in God who loves us above all and who is ever present. Erwin Raphael McManus is one of my favorite contemporary authors. He's a Christian writer and speaker. He's also a pastor of a church in Los Angeles called Mosaic. And he's got just a unique way of kind of thinking about the world and helping to elucidate these kinds of principles of God that are present in our lives. He he wrote a book about a decade ago that's a compilation of little short stories, and the title of the book is Soul Cravings. You could actually read it as kind of a devotional if you wanted to. But in it, he tells one particular story I want to share with you real quickly. He, He and his family spent some time together. His extended family spent a day together, and on their way home, they took their nephew with them. They decided to bring him over to enjoy the rest of the day with their son, and so the two of them were going to play, and As they were driving through Los Angeles, he says, we were being entertained, every single one of us, with a nine-year-old conversationalist in the back seat. Any of you ever been around a nine-year-old conversationalist, you know? You remember the term for a kid like that? Uh, Chatterbox, right? You remember? You can just imagine him just going on and on and on, this nine-year-old. And Erwin says that this nine-year-old conversationalist in the back seat ended every single sentence with one word. He began to pick up on this and notice every sentence had one word in it. It wasn't like or whatever or dude. You know, you'd think those would be one of them in California. You know, Los Angeles would be one of those words. No, it was the word honest. Every single sentence had the word honest in it. And he finally asked his nine-year-old little nephew, he says, why do you finish every single sentence with the word honest? Why do all of your sentences have that word in it? And his little nephew said, well, I just want everybody to believe me. And then without taking a breath, he also said, or maybe it's because of all the lies that I've told in my life. You know, a nine-year-old that was self-aware in some ways, right? McManus went on to write this as he concluded this story. He said, trustworthiness of any information 
is only as good as its source. How true is that, right? Trustworthy in any information in our lives is only as good as the source. The more trustworthy you can determine the source to be, the shorter the leap to faith. In a world where the invisible wounds we are experiencing are the slow death of trust, I want to ask you, who do you trust today? Who do you have faith in? today. I came to a realization this week. Probably the voice that I should begin to minimize is the voice that's right here. The voice that's so often in my own head speaking. Because I think about that voice. That voice often justifies my actions or my inactions. It's a voice that vilifies others so that I might make myself feel better. It's often a voice that denies my own faults and failures and it contributes greatly to the wounds that I continue to carry. It's a powerful voice that reminds me of what others have maybe said about me and what I say about myself. It tells me that I'm not good enough, bright enough, talented enough. It's a voice that I probably need to stop listening to. Do you have that voice in your head? Is there a voice you need to stop listening to? Is there a different voice maybe that we could listen to today that we could build confidence and trust in? A voice that says, trust in the Lord and lean not to your own understanding. A voice maybe that says, do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Maybe it's the voice that says, you are not alone for I have sent to you the comforter, the one that will come in my name and be with you always. Maybe it's simply the voice that needs to say to you, my peace. I give to you my peace. I leave with you. A different voice. A voice that we can begin to see, hear, know, trust, have faith in. A voice that speaks to us the words of love and grace that each of our souls craves and needs. A voice that can teach us what it means to be kind, gentle, peaceful, loving, and faithful. A voice that can draw us out of this spiritual depression of our invisible wounds and into the light of God's love and mercy. A voice that could turn our weeping into dancing. Here's what I hope that you take away from our, our time today. Just a couple of things to remember and, and hang on to. I want to remind all of us that we all know what it is to carry those kind of invisible wounds that are sometimes self-inflicted and often caused by others around us, that we utilize them, we harbor them within us. The psalmist thought he was alone. He had lost faith and trust in God, but God broke through his weeping and the psalmist experienced the transforming presence of God in his life. And maybe that's what we need to experience today, a breakthrough experience that allow each of us to stand in God's transforming presence, to hear the voice that we should trust. Now, how does that happen? If you think about it, how does that really transpire in our lives? I mentioned early on in the worship service that we have a Wednesday night Lenten devotion series. We're studying Reuben Job's little book, Listen. It's a small little devotional piece. You could read it in about 40 days, I think, is the intent of it. One of the things, though, that he's trying to figure out how to help us understand is how to create 
silent space. The space where we come away from the noise of a busy world and have silence so that we might hear from God. Because I think so often the practice of this is is that we don't have silence and so we don't hear from God. We just hear the voice in our head, not the voice in our soul. So maybe to come away and join us on a journey of trying to practice silence as part of your daily discipline and routine so that you might hear the voice that you could come to trust. Or maybe it comes through your reading habits. How many of you still take the Kansas City Star? Uh, You know, I would expect that that would be our worship population, that a number of us still take the Kansas City Star and read it, and probably read it voraciously every single day, page to page, cover to cover. You are well informed because you trust the Kansas City Star for its news and information, not Virginia. She's shaking her head no, but maybe maybe those of you who do read it, right? Well, let me ask you this. How many of us take time to read God's words, to incorporate those into our daily lives so that we might find faith and trust in the God who has written his love letter to each and every one of us? How much trust and faith would we gain if we would incorporate these words into our daily lives? You see, I believe this. I believe that God does not want any of us to get mired down in our invisible wounds. God knows that they can make us feel isolated from others and from God's self as well. God wants each and every one of us to know that God is with us today, that we are not alone, and that we can trust God above all. Because above all, God has your best intentions in heart and mind. God wants you ultimately to dance. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Lord of mercy and grace, as we come before you in this moment, we give you thanks and praise. For you are one who is present in our lives. When it seems like and feels like we could certainly be alone and that all others have abandoned us. When we find ourselves mired into the depth of our invisible wounds. Lord, we pray that that ray of hope and of grace, the ray of your love might peer through the darkness. And as it pierces it, that it might dispel it as well. Lord, help us to move out of the weeping of our souls and to know that you are right next to us, to gain faith and trust in you each and every day through that time of silence and through that time of reading, to know that you are the God who has been at work in this world, continues to be, and that that includes our individual hearts and lives as well. Oh, Lord, make your presence known to us so that our faith and our trust in you might grow and move us from weeping to dancing. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, our Savior. Amen.